Send in the clowns. You know, I used to really like that song, actually. I used to play it on the piano. That was Did one you? of the only things that I knew how to play do on the piano. And now it's how to play ruined. It? I could probably I bet you do. Because I, I still remember could. how to play Yankee Doodle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I'm sure it's basically the same notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just a different Yankee type. Doodle Dandy. Same thing, <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah, Send exactly. in the clowns. I have to say, I, I did appreciate that in in Joker. And that's what we're talking about. Talk about it. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. Yeah. And I would be randomly singing that song. Crazy. And then we're going to talk about a, a mad clown. It's a crazy clown. A crazy clown. A crazy clown. coincidence for yeah. a crazy clown. Uh, but that is going to be the bolt. We promised that on the last show. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Let me just pull off my glasses real quick um, because I'm really failing on my Segway work. I know. Recently, it's, we get into this nice uh, new booth, and all yeah. of a sudden, maybe I should. Do you think I should take over at the? Maybe segways? Paul should take over Segways, but you know, at the same time, shooters got to shoot. You know, well, when you yeah. got a talent like mine. <laughs> you know, similar to the way Aaron Rodgers throws a football or Steph Curry shoots a basketball. Like, yeah, you don't just stop when you have a down slump, right? right. You, you just know? keep you just keep firing. You just keep firing. You keep shooting. And eventually, something will go in. That's right. And something I, I will like, work. I feel like my body of work on this show, when it comes to segues, <laughs> has earned me the right to keep shooting my shot. All right. Well, we'll see. But I wish we had a coach in here so we could pull you, and then I could I could just sort of right. sub in. When we self-coach, Paul loses. <laughs> and that's why Paul does this show, because he still has a lot of self-loathing. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is a good way for him to, you know, to work on my issues. Yeah, to work yeah. on his issues, but also, you know, feel comfortable. Yeah, no, it, it, there's there's <laughs> there's some truth in that. I actually, one of the reasons why I do this show is I don't like talking very much, and on this show, I don't have to. Oh, oh. shots fired! <laughs> he went from self-loathing to Jake loathing, just like that. <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I am Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains and inside the cozy cube of cramped darkness. (laughs) We've got a nice window out here. There is a window. We're looking out. They haven't turned the lights out on us yet. No, they did last time. They did last time. Uh, And we're tucked away in a a corner booth inside a public library. Honestly, if they do that this time, I might freak out. Because this movie, honestly, it might be the scariest movie I've seen this year. Interesting. Well, given that it is October, it's fitting that we'll be talking about scary movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But we're here here to talk about Joker because that is all anybody can talk about, probably because of a couple of things. One, it's the only movie coming out the weekend that's coming out. So what else are we going to talk about? We're going to be talking about the Joker. We'll probably talk a little bit about some of the some of the controversy that is sort of burgeoned around the movie. You know, the Joker is a very interesting character within pop culture, and I think that sometimes the character himself can inspire people to do some kind of crazy things. There's something um, very charismatic about the character and, and very chaotic, and I think that that pulls some people. So maybe we'll talk about that too. 
That's right. And I, and I don't think there's any way to do this. Um, I'm springing this on Paul because we forgot to do it in our show prep, which didn't happen at we all. We didn't do show prep. We, um, do we ever do show prep? Well, we, we, we do, we do we show prep. We text. We email sometimes. <laughs> what are we going to talk about this time? When are you free? <laughs> Sometime before we're supposed yeah. to release the episode. Um, but it's remarkable how good these podcasts are with, with no preparation. That's right. Yeah, we are really good at winging it. Um, but th- I don't know that we can really dive into this as deep as we need to without doing spoilers. So this is going to be a spoilery podcast. But Dude, the movie's not even out yet. It's not even out. This isn't going to come out until it's know, out, I know, though. I know, I know, I know. But still, I mean, we got to be careful right uh, i mean right now yes but i think we ought to get spoiled okay. this is our okay. show prep paul <laughs> we're live on the air right now we're gonna do spoilers i know you're gonna disagree I... with that but we're gonna do it anyway <laughs> do you want to do here I'll just, we'll just let you guys into our show prep hey paul do you want to yes, split yes. this the spoilers into a separate standalone recording would you feel better about that no, I would not. I th- I think that we need to. Although you say that they work pretty well, right? I I mean I don't want to give away our secrets, but here we are. No, um, I think we got to do it all. The in one, one time we did it, it worked well. It will. <laughs> it worked well the one time we did it. I think we got to do it in just one podcast, and we'll just we'll give warnings before we launch. Here's your warning: spoilers are coming. I don't think it's a spoiler that the guy turns into the Joker. Send in those spoilers. It's terrible. Yeah, it's not because they showed that in the trailer. Well, and we know he's got to become the Joker. And the title. and Yeah. Yeah. They didn't pull the old switcheroo and turn him into Batman. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, of course, we'll... So we're going to get into our spoilery discussion of Joker. Not the Joker. Joker. All caps. I don't think I like that. And uh, then we're going to get into our most least important thing. Paul thinks he's already guessed mine. So can you guess mine? You'll we'll see. find out. We'll see. I, I I think we might be wanting to talk about the same thing. So I actually brought a backup. Oh, Paul brought most a least important backup. Thing. Boy, he is so confident. I can't wait to tune in. I'm going to skip ahead in the show. Past all the spoilers, <laughs> yeah. just to listen to that. Just to listen to because it. Because I'm so curious why he's so confident that he knows what I brought. Um, <laughs> when I am very confident that he did not. So if he if he figures it out, I'm going to freak out. Lose <laughs> my mind. Might all be right. the last straw. But now it's time for Joker. All right. <clears throat> Do you have a segue for Joker? <laughs> you want to kick us off? <laughs> oh, that Joker. That's good. that's good. Why so serious, Jake? Why, Why so, so serious? serious? But we're not talking about Heath Ledger's Joker. We're talking about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. That is not how you say it. Joaquin that is not Phoenix. That's how you actually pronounce his name. I heard it. In that an is not true. I heard it in an interview between you and me just now. Oh my goodness! Now it's now it's fact. <laughs> oh I can't wait for the day when someone's like, "I love phonics," and <laughs> what? And it'll be because of us. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm calling my shot. You did now. a stroke, like Babe Ruth pointing to the bleachers <laughs> yeah. for this home no. run. No. That's me pointing out that this is going to be the mark. Walking Phoenix will come over. He is going to beat you up, and 
Yeah, the dude. Nah, he's not going to beat me up. He lost how many pounds for this role? Fifty-two pounds. Fifty-two. Fifty-two. He's not. Have you seen me? I eat fifty-two pounds for breakfast. That's probably true. Yeah, that's right. So come at me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. Let's just start right there, because Joaquin Phoenix. I'm going to say his name regular. He looked terrible in this. Awful. I almost fake terrible. Yeah. Almost, a bit uncanny valley. Yeah, it was it was really creepy actually. But from what I understand, except for I those actually, sweet dance moves. Well, and that's what he was saying. I heard in an interview that he, because he lost all that weight, he was able to do things with his. You know, he was contorting like crazy. He was doing stuff with his body that he's never been able to do. I didn't know which all sounds very strange. And fat getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, just the bones, just the bones and the gristle. That's right. And yeah, so he was able to do some really. Kind of cruel, cool, mainly creepy dance moves that he sort of oddly broke out. sensual. I didn't I mean, say that. I'm not saying that I. They were weird. No, it was they like were weirdly self sensual dance moves. Yeah, no, it was it was very writhy. Yeah, like almost like he was having an experience with himself while he was dancing. Well, and you could see and maybe actually. He was. <laughs> Covenant eyes, forgive us, please. I didn't, not like that. Not like <laughs> finding himself. My goodness. So, yeah. Anyway, I do think that the dancing was was a big part of his character, though, because Clearly. I think that when he was feeling good about himself, which was rare at the very beginning, more frequent for all the wrong reasons toward the end, he danced. That's how he expressed happiness on on screen was these weird dances that he did. And I found that pretty pretty interesting. I I don't think anybody plays crazy as well as Joaquin Phoenix. I haven't. uh, I mean, it's hard to argue with that because his body of work is increasingly crazy. I know. Honestly, the one thing that I said to you after the screening, I really want Joaquin Phoenix to like be in a light comedy or something <laughs> or play I don't know a fireman just someone regular because he I already do did the fireman did he wasn't he in ladder 40 what was that one uh, I don't that know New York fireman he was in gladiator he, he was, was in gladiator he was in science sure. that's but you I want know. him to be in something light well yeah because I do worry you know the two movies that I've seen from Joaquin lately this movie and then before that was The Master, where he mm. was also unhinged. And and so you kind of, when you see him in so many very crazy roles doing them so well, you worry just a little bit that maybe he's taking on a little bit too much of these roles. You know, and, and I think that your mind goes that way anyway with, with the whole Heath Ledger tragedy that happened after The Dark Knight. That wasn't necessarily because he was playing the Joker, but it's sort of this, this urban myth that has blossomed in the wake of that. Right. Yeah, there was literal drugs mm-hmm. from a previous role involved with Heath's demise. Yeah. Um so but Joaquin has like he he seemingly and I think probably still disputably kind of went actually crazy with his whole I'm still here pseudo you documentary know, I, turn. I really did. I was also thinking about that and I wasn't quite sure what the resolution of that was. You know, whether he definitely acted crazy for pretty much a full year, didn't he? At least, maybe two. Yeah. It felt like it felt like he just dropped off the face of the earth Yeah, with his whole and then like showed back up with his beard all and his hair like completely untamed and yeah. Then got tame and 
then was like, oh, yes, I've been shooting a fake documentary about myself. Like, what? What? Yeah. About, like, how? It was odd. It was and really I, surreal. I don't know that I ever felt confident enough in retaining my own sanity to actually dig into it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do have to say that, that when I heard about this movie, Joker coming out, you know I'm a big Batman fan. I was really um, anxious about this movie. I wasn't necessarily sure if I thought it was a very good thing, but I knew if Joaquin Phoenix is in it, it's going to be compelling. If nothing else, if if you like it, dislike it, it's going to be something you can't turn away from. Yeah, I mean, he's got a bit of a um, Daniel Day-Lewis to him. He does. And that when he goes crazy, he goes full-blown He goes crazy, full and the madness blown. comes out. Like, as much as I've teased you about um, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, his, his turn in There Will Be Blood and, mm. like, you know, his final – some of his final rants in that movie right. as he's, you know – mad right are are crazy or even i've seen clips of him as bill the butcher in um gangs of new york right you know where he cries over the rabbit you know yeah yeah stuff like that he Um, is he joaquin has a very similar frightening energy to him Mm -hmm. almost a manicness to his madness that uh kind of teeters back and forth between this weird creepy composure but then this all out insanity. Yeah. yeah, you can tell he does a really great job in this movie. Essentially what the what we're dealing with here of course is 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 Joker and sort of his, his own hypothesized origin story. Right. And he starts off as this guy named Arthur Fleck who is dealing with a lot of psychological issues. He's dealing with a lot of weirdness in his life. And as the story goes on, the the legs that would support his very tenuous sanity get knocked out from under him one by one by one. It's a really painful thing to watch. Yeah, it, it seemed like his stool of sanity had at least ten legs. <laughs> it really did, <laughs> which you would think would be more stable. And they like but got no, kicked really out from wasn't. underneath them and then like picked up and used to bludgeon him over the head. Yeah, that's really true. It's a it's a hard movie to watch, but but Joaquin embodies this in a way when you mentioned Daniel Day-Lewis I think it might be the most mesmerizing performance I've seen on screen since since probably there will be blood you yeah know? well and and I will say uh, his performance is really good though <laughs> just to talk about the the legs of the stool kicked out from under him and then use the bludgeon him I, I did feel like that was probably one of the first things I felt about this film as far as missteps go Mm. from a storytelling perspective was Joaquin absolutely like mesmerizing on screen. Right. But it felt like from a storytelling perspective, they're like, let's just beat this character to, to like to an insane degree. Right. Right. Like let's literally just have every single thing that can go wrong. will go wrong where it started to feel like that TV show, the worst week, from a couple of years ago where it's like they're just inventing new ways to screw him over. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. He's beaten down. Everything's bad. Nobody, Everybody's a jerk to him. I get it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Overkill. <laughs> a little a little bit too much. Well, it, and that was sort of the thing, right? I mean, it, it was exactly what I was worried about in some ways when we step into this. I mean, number one, I always kind of liked that Heath Ledger take on the Joker where you don't exactly know where he came Mm. from. He comes in. He just sweeps through here. I think that the story actually worked really well in Joker in terms of this this 
this possible origin story for Joker. I thought that that the story was really well told. I thought that it it followed the trajectory that it needed to. But man, was it brutal to watch. I mean, this is not a movie. I don't think that that most most people would go in and they would say, "You know what? I really enjoyed that movie. I want to go see it again." You know, it almost feels You know what I had? The the reaction that I had with this movie was in some ways the same reaction I had with Silence, Scorsese's mm. Silence, where you you just feel the weight of everything that you see on screen, both what's done to Arthur Fleck and what Arthur Fleck begins to do to other people. It's just so brutal. Right. So brutal. And heavy, even the soundtrack with the way they use the strings really starts to weigh on your mind. That's really, a good catch, yeah. Um, throughout the film where you just kind of feel the weight of this descent into psychosis, but almost, and here's the weird thing, ascent into psychosis. And that made it, for me, even heavier. Right. Right. Yeah, and and I would agree with that. I think we mentioned this at the top of the show uh, very briefly. Joker is always a problematic character in some ways because he is so bad and so crazy and such an agent of chaos, and he enjoys it so much. And I think when you see that, and you see it at the very end of this movie where he feels... You know what? I actually just wrote something on this where where the Joker in some ways is like the complete insane culmination of the values that we tend to hold so dear in 21st century society, this embrace of the individual, this embrace of freedom. Those are really good things. But in Joker, it's taken so far beyond, you know, you still need rules. You still need to fit in with society. You still need to have some sort of boundaries around you. Joker doesn't follow those boundaries at all. And so because of that, he's such a frightening character, but also because of that very thing, he becomes compelling to a certain group of people. And and really, I have heard people describe Joker and in, in normal people say that there's a certain admirable side to the character, which I find pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a sense to him where I think a lot of the conversation, and we'll get to this, is centered around that group of people that may be particularly drawn to the worldview that's espoused, ends up being espoused in this movie. But I think there is a sense to, if you look at our cultural moment, even I think politically, with this political religious mashup we have and the embrace of much of the evangelical church of, you know, our 45th president and his, yeah, he he doesn't put up with the nonsense. He calls out all this filth that we see and he says he's going to do something about it. And he breaks a, all the rules. He breaks all the rules. And it. we love that, or mm-hmm. not we, but this, uh, this, particular group loves him for that chaos that he brings. Like what a lot of the rest of us might see and say, whoa, this is out of control. This is not, you know, this is, this is manic. This is whatever descriptor you may have. There's a group of people that's very drawn to that chaotic, tell it like it is 
no holds barred, take no prisoners approach. Obviously, that's in a different sphere. Yeah. But it's a a very weirdly similar phenomena, just with different repercussions. Yeah. And I think uh, it it is interesting because I think the people who would probably really dig the Joker and the people who really would dig our 45th president are probably not typically the the same people. But there is... There is a certain appeal, I think, to break free of the the bonds of society because I think we can all feel the constriction of them sometimes. And and because of that, I think that there's an inherent attraction to some of what is portrayed. You know, the the famous line from The Dark Knight is, some men just want to watch the world burn. Sometimes if you feel like there's something broken you want to watch somebody tear it down so they can build something else. And so I think that there's a certain, uh, I don't know, catharsis yeah. that comes with say, characters like that. Right. And I mean, in, in different, I think for each of us, that's a real thing. And it just like the way it's satisfied is different for each of us. Right. For some of us, it's as simple as watching Chip Gaines on Demo Day. <laughs> And they, like it's a joke, but I also kind of mean it. No, no, when I you watch Demo Day on Fixer Up, you're like, yes, like tear it down, <laughs> oh, get some, you know. Or when you see a Jenga tower crumble and it wasn't your turn, right. you know, right? Uh, or, uh, or as serious as, um, you know, people do it in their own lives, self destructive tendencies, where uh, it were from, you know, even to mental illness, and this is something I've heard talked about in relationship to foster care that. Because of abuse and because of trauma, some people will crumble their own world because that gives them a sense of control. They're tired of everybody else crumbling it for them and through abuse and through the traumas they've received. And so they will self-destruct in situations, even when things are seemingly okay, because it – in a in a subconscious way, it gives them a sense of control. Yeah, and that's a brilliant point to bring up, actually, within the context of this movie, because we see that over and over again within the context of Joker. You know, Arthur Fleck feels like he has no control over his life. And as he spirals farther and farther into insanity, he all of a sudden discovers these ways where he can claim control, where he can claim, you know, the power to steer his own narrative, even if it's in a horrific way. You know, I think that, that the Joker in some ways is as clear an American tragedy. This is a true tragedy of a story that we watch. Um, but as as Arthur Fleck points out himself, he all of a sudden sees his life as a comedy. For him, he's finding his happy ending through that control. Yeah. As he says, again, himself, humor is subjective. And so I get to choose. Right. You know, my yeah. life's not a tragedy. It's a comedy. Yeah. My actions aren't tragic or horrific. They're funny. I find it amusing. Mm. And um, which makes this the story all the scarier. Right. Because that that could if there was a more clear point to critique that, I think that that could have been used to turn a mirror back around on society because we get glimpses of it um, in the char- most of the characters. They're turning the lights off on us again. There's the lights. <laughs> there they go. That's it for the show. But <laughs> if you think about the characters and situ- like systems that put him down, they all have modicums of fitting in. Right. But they are all also breaking the rules. Right. 
and they're being destructive and destruct and destructive towards others. And so he, he finally gets tired of seeing this subjective morality, this subjective, um, you know, good behavior from others get rewarded because they, you know, have all these other things in place. And he finally decides if you can act like this in other ways, I can act like this in my own way. But that's not the point the movie ends up making. It ends up just sort of saying, yeah, look at all those rich pricks. Yeah. You know, I disagree, okay. actually. You know, I, I, I do think the movie says that. But I think that the movie, for me, the movie does a really effective job of holding a mirror up to ourselves. You know, I think that, that what if the Dark Knight was in some ways uh, an examination of evil, like like hardcore, unadulterated evil within the character of the Joker. Joker, the movie, is an examination of the evil that we do sometimes without even thinking. In The Dark Knight, the Joker was evil. In this movie, we are. And I think that, that I would I would suggest that Although the rich white guys are the ones who who we see being the biggest jerks, I think it really reflects on society. And I think it causes me to ask, when we live, as we do sometimes in a world of monsters, what is the responsibility that we bear for helping to create those monsters? And I think I wish, honestly, that that was the message that was actually communicated but I'm afraid that that's only a message we can really get by scrounging in this film. I and disagree. That's, and that's where I and, – and here's where context matters. Right. And I, I think I have to address this because it, it if I say context matters, it's good for you guys to know my context. My context coming into this film – I don't talk about this a lot because I think I've kind of shunted it aside in my own – uh, experience tried to write it off, say it's not that important, but it I found with a few other things that it came up with this film that it was important, and that is you know I am in a odd way a survivor of a mass shooting where a mentally ill young Caucasian male finally you know he had a lot of struggles for a long time and finally snapped and started killing people, and you know I hid in the basement of the building with my future wife and her mother and um, you know, found out after the fact that I had to, I've, I had walked within meters of him, you know, prior to him right, actually right, right. going on the rampage. And, um, and then of course the context of the Aurora theater shooting and with the dark Knight movies, like sure. this, this ended up, um, this ended up feeling particularly heavy to me with all of that context. Mm -hmm. Now that's my context. And I know that not everybody else has that context. So I think I, I have to understand right. that as a viewer right? to say it's easy for me from that context to potentially project a lot of things on this film. Um, that being said, it's not, it doesn't seem to be just me who's getting that out of this film. And what it ended up feeling like to me was not that this movie was made with the intention of affirming this worldview. Right. But because it was – I think because Todd Phillips was so enamored with the character well, study and of Joker. He, and he, he worked so hard to make him so sympathetic in the beginning. Right. I think what ends up happening is you sort of have an, a weird adulation 
of this worldview. Yeah. Of of because it's it to me it felt very similar to Wolf of Wall Street. Not necessarily obviously in the exact content, but in the sense where like, oh no, 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 this is supposed to be a repudiation of this lifestyle, but it ends up spending so much time kind of basking in the lifestyle, like in the Wolf of Wall Street's case, or basking in this sympathy yeah. in Joker's case, that it ends up like by the end, a sane I think a relatively sane person will feel heavy by the end of this movie. But for somebody who's struggling with mental illness, somebody who's struggling with feeling put down and marginalized and like they're getting all of these bad breaks that Joker's getting, I worry what worldview this actually ends up reaffirming. Right. And and I think all those are really valid points. I And I would agree that you're not the only one who's taken away that message, whether it was intended or not. I think a lot of people see that message within it. Um, and I would also agree that this can be the word that kept coming to my mind when I came out uh, of the screening was the word irresponsible. Yeah. Is this movie irresponsible? It may be, it may have one fantastic performance. Can, is it a movie that should have been made? Especially in this period of time when there's a lot of anger and when there's a lot of of the the classism and the rage uh, that we see in this current moment, and that's something that that I may still be wrestling with because I I'm really of two minds about it. I think that I think that when you're looking at Joker, it may be a stretch, but I'm going to go here. I I think that this is this is. A work of art. This is meant to be a quality movie that makes you think. And one of the old cliches about when you when you talk about these good movies is they're much better at asking questions than answering anything. And they cause you to reflect on your own life, on your own story. It matters less about what actually goes on in the movie itself and how it makes you reflect on the world around you, right? So I think that, and I think that, that there is a place for art to be provocative and controversial and to stir up really passionate conversation, which I think that this movie will. At the same time, I am almost convinced that this movie could be a catalyst for something really terrible. Not the only catalyst. I don't think that you can no. blame a movie right. for for terrible things that, that, that might happen. But like we saw in Arthur's story, in Joker's story, there's a lot of culmination of, of things in somebody's life that can lead him to a point of breaking. And is it possible that this movie could lead someone who's feeling alienated, who's dealing with mental illness, who's, who it resonates with this idea of pushing back and pushing back hard. Is it possible that this could be one of those blips in that person's life? I think absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That I came out with a very heavy sense in, in that regard. Um, because we know that somebody got there it's been disputed. We mm-hmm. can't know how influential it was, where it played that role, what step in the you know process it was for the man in the Aurora shooting. Right. But um, 
it, and that was in the context of a movie that was much more clearly right. You know, uh, this was the villain. Right. This was not the hero. This there was no sympathy for this Joker. Right. He was. I mean, he he was not even a human as much as he was an avatar for chaos. Yes. And and so, but even that worldview proved potentially to be attractive or affirming enough in somebody else's journey to possibly encourage that. But I think even in smaller ways, mm-hmm. like that's that's partially what bothers me too, is that for not, it's not going to always be for everyone the most drastic thing right, right. that they end up doing. But what are those smaller ways? It reminded me a lot, and this, this community has been brought up in regard to this film, of this kind of deep dive into the incel community that Vox.com uh, did earlier right. this year. Right, right. Where they they uh, talked about how when you look at the worldview that has now formed within these really tight knit incel communities online, the the actions that they take are very varied, right? In terms of, but they all stem back to this. They've come to see that the all the things that happen in the world, the chaos, the things that don't go right for them, are aimed against them and they start to have this self pity right. and they and then that turns into aggression towards others right and because it's such a tight community it becomes this echo chamber where every every one of those sensations is sort of reinforced by the right. other members of the community right yeah and then they coach each other on ways that they can take out their anger their aggression their righteous just war against these things that are coming against them in as small a ways as sexually or personally or emotionally harassing women that they encounter at work or even at the grocery store when they're checking out. Like in small ways, these messages are, they're harmful. And, but the harm is not always, doesn't always look like a shooting. Right. And that's the other thing that bothers me about this is I, 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 I fear for the potential that this could be a, a, a dangerous step in someone's journey to, gun violence, but I right. also fear that it's a, an affirming link in somebody else's worldview where they, you know, discriminate against people in even smaller ways. And those are destructive over time. And it makes me think of, we are really, we like to say that our words and the stories we tell have power when we're being praised for them. And when that power is being used for good, but then we try to shirk it as soon as it's right. There's a negative Right. quality to it. No, and I, I think that that's absolutely right. I think that that is a message that, you know, as part of my job as as a film reviewer, that's that's something that I feel really passionately about, that, that for better or worse, these things impact us. They impact our stories. They impact how we think about life and the world around us and the people around us. And I think that there is potentially an inherent danger in storytelling. Does that mean that stories should not be told because we're fearful of what might happen? That's as a storyteller myself, that's a really difficult question to answer, you know, because I, I think that I believe in the in the power of art and I believe in the power of and I believe in free speech, you know. I believe that people yeah. should be able to say give the message that they want. Um 
and you can't I mean there are people who could misinterpret a whole bunch of things Absol- from yeah, right. from my little pony on up but and they do and they do it, but but it does it does make you think and I think that that's one of the things that's, that makes this movie so provocative the other thing that weakens it I think and and leads to the point that you're talking to there is no hero right the closest we have here is Joker, who's one of the greatest villains in American history. We don't have a Batman to stand against him. And so because of that, his message goes essentially unchallenged. Yeah. And, and even the Batman that we do see here is weakened by the fact that you're like, his dad is a jerk. <laughs> That's really so he true. must end up being a jerk if he <laughs> idolizes his dad so much. So he completely undermines Batman. Also, a weird note, like, I, I think this was meant to be a one-off film. So I don't think we'll see no, this version so of Joker either. anywhere else. Yeah. But it was an interesting choice to make him so much older. Than Bruce yes. Wayne, <laughs> like a yes. full two some two it was, plus decades. It was back to Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton <laughs> right. almost. Um, so it, okay, one thing before we move on, because I I know we're probably just rambling <laughs> on and on, but we saw we talked about Taxi Driver, yeah, um, in the previous podcast, and that's that's a movie that has come up again and again in terms of what the Joker, you know, sort of the DNA of the Joker was drawn from Taxi Driver in right. some ways. How in did a lot of ways. Yeah, how did how did viewing Taxi Driver influence how you saw this movie? Yeah. Well, I think it gave me, you know, it sort of gave you that extra appreciation for some of those nods, yeah. especially the era it was set in. It felt like it was not that far removed. You know, this version of Gotham felt very similar to yeah, the version of New York City that we horrific, see in, yeah. um, in Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, but obviously we had – I, I, what I did think was fascinating was just the two different ways that the character studies unfold mm-hmm. in Taxi Driver. In Taxi Driver – in Taxi Driver and Joker where – in Taxi Driver, you don't have anything particularly bad right. happening to your main character. You watch him descend into you know madness, essentially, step by step. Right. In himself, though. There's not all these external factors bludgeoning him down to the same it's degree. It's not as extreme. No. Like it, I, you know, I would say that He has a romantic mishap or, you know. Yeah, and people throw things at his car. He just goes. here there. Yeah. But not to where it's like we're per- you know uh, people are lying about you and you lose your job and and you're getting beaten over the head getting besides. beaten over the head and harassed on the subway and your mom uh, is you know and, yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. all this uh, 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 lying <laughs> and abuse and you know it's like oh yeah we we learn much more about the backstory of Joker and we see much more of like catalysts right in his journey whereas. Um, Taxi Driver is a much quieter yeah. film and you're Subtler. really supposed to, yeah, really much more subtle where you're supposed to be, you know, just getting a lot from his facial, De Niro's facial expressions or, you know, little story beats here or there as you watch his descent. Whereas here, it's a, it's a much more guided descent mm-hmm. into madness where it's mm-hmm. like, ah, here's this catalyst and here's this catalyst and here's this catalyst. Again, done. So we'll, we'll sympathize with the right. Joker on a level that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I would I would echo all that. I also think it's interesting that in Taxi Driver, I think that there's a sense of possible redemption 
that's held out that that Joker never gets. Right. You know, the the main character Travis, he has the ability to to as he descends into madness, he decides that he wants to assassinate essentially this political leader. But he's sidetracked by the idea of rescuing this 12-year-old prostitute. And so he takes his his madness, his insanity, in, in a more positive direction, if you can say that, by sure. trying to save this little girl. There's nothing like that. Positive direction, if not execution. Yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a very strange thing, but but you know we don't see that in this movie. There's there's no, and that's what makes it so depressing. Right, you know, is that there's no sense of hope anywhere. There's no sense of hope anywhere in this movie. Yeah, and that's where I will say, like as as crisp as I felt like the filmmaking in this movie was overall. There's some stunning shots done cinematically there's some really good stuff in the soundtrack though also some really weird stuff though i will say as my one jarring. little aside it was it was jarring in like a remove you from the experience sort of way mm-hmm. when the because jock jams it. start pl- playing <laughs> and then give way back to the heavy strings it was like where did that come from all of what? a sudden like that what? i i did like i understand why you made that choice but it did definitely did not work. But yeah. uh, <laughs> the weird jock jam interlude. <laughs> uh, oh, but what I was going to say is I, I did – I will say um, I – as far as a character study of watching somebody where you know they're doomed right. and faded right. to ending up on the wrong side to being a villain, yeah. um, I feel like the much better character study in that uh, regard is Better Call Saul the the television show which does a, a really fantastic job of um of exploring and holding those mirrors up to ourselves like both across so many different different uh characters right. whereas this feels a lot more one-dimensional all the characters you meet are disinterested or jerks you know there's not a whole lot of nuance yeah to we the joker we outside don't see anyone of who we can really like in this right movie. outside of Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> performance there's not a whole lot of nuance right it feels a little bit melodramatic else elsewhere now in in defense of joker you know that's a two-hour movie and better call saul has the ability to go through for season after season sure so i think that that's one advantage that i think television just has over these movies these days is it allows you to unpack and do some really strong character studies that make it extraordinarily compelling you know um yeah, and in two-hour movies, it's just harder to do that these days. Yeah, and I think that's what ends up really putting Todd Phillips... It was funny that he was like, oh, I, I made this movie because it's so hard to make a comedy in this woke culture, and, that, and yet he walked right into woke culture by making a movie about mental illness. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, how did you not see that coming? You made a movie focused on mental illness. It goes out of its way. It's very on the nose. Like every story beat is about mental illness, either the Joker's or someone else's in the story, right? You know, the the two main characters that you spend any time with. It's mm. a mental illness story, and yet he seemed to be a bit tone deaf. And it's like, why focus on that so much if you did just want to spend two hours? Like, you could have made this same movie without such a heavy focus on the mental illness. Yeah. I, and so that 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 
confused me a little that yeah. he tried to disavow the mental illness side so hard after the fact. Yeah, and I I don't know I don't know what he actually said, but I, I would separate mental illness from woke culture. I think that that mental illness was was definitely a part of the character, and I thought that it it was dealt with. I may have had a greater appreciation for this movie because the character arc as hard as it was to watch and how guided as it felt um it felt realistic it felt it felt germane to me and i think that that it it uh it worked i think for me well uh, but i think that's part of the problem is like it the realism of it ends up being the problem of it because in you know that's something they talk a lot about with these with people who struggle with mental illness and these especially those ones that kind of have this, they want this attention. Right. They want, you know, Joker says it outright, right? He's like, for a long time, I didn't know that I even existed. Right, right. And then, but this helps him, causing this desire to be seen. Right. Helps him know he exists and that he is seen. And this ends up kind of affirming that because he ends up getting whatever, he gets all of that that he wants. Right. And and so I do, that's where I do worry that the the realism of the depiction, perhaps, of the motivation yeah. and a, of the illness ends up being just, again, that, that kind of dangerous trigger. It's something you yeah. know, that they were worried about with something like 13 Reasons Why that we even worry about in news coverage right. of mass violence and mass shooters is like we don't want to give them any more attention because that's what a lot of but, them are after. But here's the thing. We all have a desire to be seen. That is a very human desire. And I think that the core message of this movie is if that – if people had taken the time to look him in the eye before any of this had happened, I, it, to me, in some ways, it leads me to a very Christian point of view, yeah. you know, where God loved the unlovable, us. This is an unlovable character who's deeply desiring human connection, who wants to be seen, who wants to be heard. He wants to make people laugh. Most of the movie, he doesn't want to be Joker. He wants to just be normal. He wants to be seen. And when you see the horrors that go on around him, you see the, the bullying, the mocking, the complete disregard of this person. And it left me with this pervasive sense of how far human kindness, how far human gentleness, compassion can go in someone's life. When we reach out to somebody who might be different from us, how far that can go to keeping someone on a healthier track. I mean, that was the message that I took away. It was it was convicting to me because I feel I don't. I don't bully people, but if I saw someone like that, my tendency exactly, exactly, and I think that that we don't want to get involved. We want to ignore those discomforting people in our midst. And to me, this was sort of saying, "Listen, these people are different. They may be really screwed up, but they're still people. They still have value." And to me, that's a very Christian message. Yeah. And I think ultimately that ends up being both the both the thing in favor and not in favor of Joker. And that I think it is an effective enough piece of art that it it is provocative 
and it will cause different people based on their experience to take away different things. So from an art perspective, like that's that's what we want to do with our art, to cause people to have an experience and to come away with something that means something to them. The dangerous thing is I think that takeaway is very different contextually. For someone who is in your shoes, in my shoes, who is not struggling with this level of mental illness or this level of um, being uh, – um, the word I'm looking for is marginalized. Um, that can be a very convicting message of, boy, how have I maybe treated somebody right, or not uh, even noticed somebody because of, you know, they were seemed lesser or weird or quirky or whatever that is. But for the person that is in that situation, what do they then take away to say, yeah, these people effing deserve it? Be- <laughs> And that's and that's a dangerous thing. And, and for, for me, um, i i had the I had the same word irresponsible kind of ringing in my head. Mm. And I think I think there's a, a difference between one responsibility and irresponsibility. Mm. I'm not saying that the makers of these stories are responsible for the actions of somebody who takes the you know twists the message or imp- imposes their own message on their art you know for their own negative gains, but two things can be true. More than one thing can be true. Absolutely. You you maybe are not responsible for their action, but you may have still told an irresponsible story. Which, ironically, is in some ways the message of Joker itself, yeah. right? I mean, we know Joker, Arthur Fleck, as a person, he is responsible for his horrible deeds that he does in this movie, and as he does, he's done for the last... 70 years in the Batman mythos, right? Old man. He is responsible. And yet, there are others in his life that may bear a little bit of responsibility as well. Is And that's one of the messages of the movie. Yeah. So I think ultimately with Joker, where I'm left is is exactly that. Multiple things can be true about this film. I don't think the intentions were malicious of the filmmakers. Uh, I do think that overall, with some caveats, the artistic quality is good, and I think it's deeply problematic and irresponsible all at the same time. And I I would agree with all of that on some levels. I think we might disagree on the degree to which we think that, but I I think that all that is very true. I think, if, if this might be the last word on this, I think that this movie... Uh, the discussion around this movie may last longer than the movie itself, except for Joaquin Phoenix's performance. We will see him come Oscar time. And then we'll know how to pronounce his name. (laughs) Finally. I mean, unless they get it wrong. (laughs) I mean, John Travolta got somebody's name wrong, so they could get it wrong and call him Joaquin Phoenix. I think they should just have John Travolta host the whole thing. (laughs) I think that'd be great. Talk about Maybe maybe in his Battlefield Earth costume. I think that'd be awesome. That would be something. And I would watch it. What are your thoughts? Are Have you seen The Joker? Are you planning – not The Joker. Have you seen Joker? Are you going to see Joker? Were you scared away? Not interested? <laughs> this movie is engendering a lot of reactions and we're curious as to what yours is. So you can catch up with, catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. But now it's time for the most least important thing.
Here we are, still in the cozy cube of cramped darkness, inside a local library somewhere in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Paul's checking texts on his Apple Watch, <laughs> and I sit over here with my Android. Well, it seems like we've been in here for three hours. I've got, I've got messages I've got. <laughs> <laughs> but it's time for the most least important thing, the place where we take the mountains and molehills and we reverse them. And or not. Or not. You know what? It's up to us. It's up to us. We decide. We we report, we decide. Yes, yeah, that's I, the beauty of the most least important thing. Yeah, since I'm I'm I I want you to go first because you have to since I have a backup most least important that's right. thing. Paul, I don't have a backup. Yeah. So Paul, what is what is my most least important thing? Cameron Strang. Oh, nope. Oh. Nope. Nope. It's not Cameron Strang. Um Though I do see why you might have, since I did tweet I, something yes. in relation to relevant. I thought it was provocative. Um, Cameron Strang, this will be an extra most least important thing. Cameron yeah, mine's Strang. more fun, so why don't we do yours? Oh, well. Since you've got Cameron Strang. No, I, I think <laughs> it's, I think that it was, it's, Cameron Strang, for those of you who don't know, he he has founded, he founded the, the magazine Relevant. Thanks to his daddy's money and connections. <laughs> that comes with a website and a podcast. Mm. and Multiple podcasts. Multiple podcasts. Um, he recently stepped away from his job because he was, uh, according to some of his ex, his former staff member, he was a, he was sort of a toxic leader and yeah. he wasn't very racially sensitive and there were just a lot of problems. So he's stepping away for a time, letting relevance sort of go on. And and to me, this uh, this was kind of a sad thing that I heard about because I have. Uh, I actually ran, you know, I've trained for marathons listening to the relevant podcast. Mm. So I was pretty familiar with Cameron's voice and I enjoyed him there. Um, I have enjoyed the website. Um, Even though I'm, I'm really, really old, I still resonate with sort of that young evangelical message that they try to sort of hang out with me. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Sort of ex-evangelical too. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that, that in some ways it, it, for me, it just reminds me how careful we need to be within the Christian world about the leaders yeah. that that we that we look to, because I think that we've seen leader after leader after leader fall in some way, um, and so we need to be cautious about holding them on too high a pedestal, and at the same time, I kind of long because we've seen so many people fall. I kind of wish that there was some sort of mechanism for restoration for some of these people that I don't think we've really quite figured out. Either we pretend that nothing happened mm-hmm. or we completely erase them right. from sort of the Christian leadership ledger. And I, I kind of wish that there was a way that we could do that better. We're all about forgiveness, but we're all about behaving as we should, too. What's the balance there? Yeah, well, and, and I think the problem is that on on both sides we go to the extreme. You know, mm-hmm. one is the cancel culture where somebody can never be restored, mm-hmm. and the other is the no, let's whitewash over this because it would be bad for our witness. You know, which yeah. ends up blowing up even worse, right? right? Where we sort of pervert right forgiveness and kind of turn it into a weapon to use against victims, right? Right, say, absolutely. Well, why don't, you, why don't you get over this? He's over it. You know, she's over it. You know, whatever. Um, yeah, the Cameron Strang one is interesting to me. I will say, I think. Here's from an outside perspective. I've never met Cameron Strang. 
I've I've actually not really listened to the relevant podcast all that much, so I really don't. It's know not as that good as much ours, about but it's pretty all right. I know I've read Relevant ever since it was a magazine back in the early two thousands, and I've followed it as it's become more digital, and I've appreciated a lot of their different writers and editors. Um, as far as a perspective, I thought Tyler Daswick, who's a former writer editor for uh, Relevant, did a pretty nice little piece about you know some things about Christian leadership that he learned that. Uh, from working in this situation yeah, yeah, without being attacking of Strang. But I will say, uh, on a positive note, all that aside, um, the fact that he's stepping away, I don't know his heart. I don't know how genuine he truly is. Those right. are all things I don't want to question. I don't feel like that's my role. Right. I don't know him. However, the fact that he cho- is choosing to step away for these allegations of some toxic leadership things, nothing illegal, nothing right. um, like criminal or like he didn't he didn't sexually abuse someone you know like we're kind of used to these really big bombshells right. and not to say that they're not problematic i don't want this to come off as um kind of glossing over right the real problems that were there but i'm saying the fact that he chose to step away even though there wasn't anything illegal that he did at least that we know of right. caught, you know forcing him to step away i think is a positive sign because i think there's a lot of leaders we've seen where they don't do that right. uh, i read a big piece on like the leaders of i think blizzard entertainment maybe i'm getting that wrong a video game company right. who got charged with harassment and toxic leadership themselves and sexual harassment misogyny things like that stuff that's like ripped straight out of michael scott in the office right and they kind of fought it and were belligerent about it and uh, you know and they didn't step aside, right? They right. kind of had to be forced into these other things, and they didn't take any reckoning for it. So the fact that he seems to be taking a reckoning for it, even though it doesn't seem like he was forced to for any legal reason, right? I think is a good sign and hopefully positive that there will be restoration yeah. in some of those relationships and, and maybe in him. Yeah. You know, I, I think that one of the things that, that it just reminds me of – as as Christians and especially as Christian leaders, how important it is to listen and to be humble, you know. And I think that that this is a this is an opportunity to both listen and to be humbled, you know. And I think that that that's that's the position that that as Christians we're at our most effective when we're not yelling, when we're not strident, when we're in a position of openness where we can listen to each other. Yeah. Well, mine is a little bit more fun and is not about Cameron Strang. I'm so disappointed, actually. <laughs> uh, mine is about the ABGO Superhero Fantasy Football League. What? Have you heard anything no! about this? So this is not necessarily brand new. It sort of broke a couple of weeks ago, but I think kind of quietly because I haven't yeah. seen it really blow up. I think it kind of stayed in geek culture because it's a weird combination of two different geek cultures that don't as often intermix. And so ABGO is a production company uh, run by the Russo brothers. And they decided to create the ABGO Superhero Fantasy Football League. (laughs) And it's comprised entirely of actors and actresses who have played superhero or superhero adjacent characters in movies. And they are playing for charity. Whoever wins gets $100,000 to the charity of their choice. So they all declared what charity they were playing for. But then there were some other rules in the league, like you have to do videos trash-talking your opponents at different times throughout the season. (laughs) And so what's starting to come out now is not just 
hey, these superheroes have a fantasy league amongst themselves, the actors and actresses, but they're creating videos and posting them on social media where they're talking trash and they are hilarious. Not all of them are suitable for work. Like there's one with Ryan Reynolds talking trash to Karen Gillan, you know, who plays uh, Nebula in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, oh my goodness gracious. It's, it's all bleeped out, but it is so funny. Um, Oh my goodness. Because he starts off talking about, I don't really talk trash because I'm a Canadian. (laughs) It's not really our thing. And Karen's so nice, but I guess they have to do this. And then just, just starts going and it's mostly bleeps, but the words you do here just give you, oh my word. So funny. Or like Paul Rudd talking trash to Tom Holland. Um, just oh some, my goodness! Yeah, or like Chris Pratt trash talking Chris Hemsworth, and the Rousseau brothers coming in with, you know, and like dropping dimes on top of these conversations. Like so, all of a sudden, like so, just is it all sequestered the, to the to the Marvel universe? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I want to see some DC characters. Right. There's no DC characters in it right now. Um, I'll pull up the list here as we're talking about it. But it, you know what? In our in our culture, where there's a lot of heavy things, a lot of you know, it's a nice thing to see these celebrities playing for charity and just having a little bit of lighthearted fun and goofiness. Like I've, I'm actually really enjoying it. Yeah, I, I'll have to check out some of those videos. I was actually really excited because I thought that maybe it was some sort of tournament where all these superheroes were battling each other, like the actual superheroes. Sure, which would be kind of cool. It would be I don't cool know how they would own, do that. Right, that'd be hard to do. But I, I, I appreciate this about it. It's yeah. mixing football and. So after my depressing football, yeah, mostly important so thing in the last depressing. episode, this is me. restoring my faith. <laughs> but anyways, you've got Matthew Barry from ESPN um, is the one non-superhero, but he's good friends with the Russo brothers, and they wanted this connection to actual football culture. Gotcha. He's playing for the, the V Foundation for Cancer Research in honor of Jimmy V. Robert Downey Jr. Oh. is in the league. He's playing for Guy Aquino's Sacred Hearts Treatment Services for Addiction. Paul Rudd is playing for Big Slick. I don't know what that is. It sounds like himself. I think he's cheating. Chris Hemsworth is playing, <laughs> is playing for the Australian Childhood Foundation. Tom Holland for the Brothers Trust. Chris Evans for Christopher's Haven. Miles Teller is playing for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Michael B. Jordan is playing for My Brother's Keeper. Ryan Reynolds for Sick Kids Foundation. Chris Pratt for the Brain Treatment Foundation. Anthony Mackie for STEM NOLA. N-O-L-A. Karen Gillan for Mikey's Line and Elizabeth Olsen for Stewart House. Elizabeth Olsen. So there you go. You can check it out. You know, just look up the ABG or the AGBO, excuse me, Superhero Fantasy Football League, or you know, follow these superheroes as they talk trash to each other. It's kind of funny. I love it when these people talk trash. It's kind of funny. What's your most least important thing? Come at us at Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. But until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. And I liked, you know, I didn't even get it, get to this because we were already, you know, 45 minutes in. But I did like the the response from, like, the families of the, you know, some mm-hmm. of the Aurora mm-hmm. victims of challenging it. But not, not for the sake of censorship, but for right. the sake of advancing the conversation and 
the right. cause. I, I thought that was really cool. You know, honestly, I one of my concerns is that there's just a lot of angry movies. It seems that there's a lot of movies that sort of push us in this direction, and I don't think that's healthy. I think that I would like to see a corrective. You You want to be... I think you need to have a balance between questioning authority and, you know, valuing the society that we live in. And there's, like it or not, there's a level of, of conformity and acceptance of rules that, that come along with that. Right. Yeah, we didn't. Man, there's just still so much we to go into. We could go on forever. I was going to say but that. But they're going to turn off more I was going to say that to me is why The Dark Knight was, is, it was and is still so powerful and yeah. that it confronts that. You know, Absolutely. This is all terrible. These people don't eat. They're prisoners. You know, they're, like, it sets up so many of these situations, asking us those questions. Yeah. Like, this is really crappy. The city does not deserve to be saved. It's full of rats. Like, yeah. all these terrible things. And yet Batman continues to dive back into it because he says, I'm holding on to this hope. I'm holding on to the semblance of good. And I'm going, I want people to have that beacon. And, you know, there's that, to your point, there's that sense of still holding on to the good in society, even though it's not inherent to society. And I I think that in some ways, recognize it for the miracle it is. When you, when you look at the, the Batman and the Dark Knight and you look at Joker here, in some ways they, they form sort of a flip side to, to how I sort of process good and evil. You know, the evil is inside us. To be good, we have to overcome that evil every single day. Right. You know, we have to push beyond it. So I think that's one of the reasons why I might have liked this movie more than you do. So there there you go. go. And that'll go all for naught. (laughs) I'll find a way to slip it in. (laughs) Tag it on. You're probably listening to this after the final music rolled. (laughs) We're not that crass. (laughs) Until Paul starts talking about us sitting in the podcast booth naked. (laughs) That we have yeah, to that censor. was awkward. Okay, moving on. Paul's like, show's almost done. Let me throw in this joke about nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Not just any nudity. Well, our no, nudity sometimes, in the podcast sometimes the filters start slipping after a bit. That's right. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't even a part of the show. <laughs> <laughs>